even if you've never listened to this show before, you have heard that bone broth is trending in all health circles, except, of course, the vegan and raw food circles. I've been a fan of the stuff for decades, and so have Heather Dane and Louise Hay, co-authors of The Bone Broth Secret. Listen in on today's episode of the podcast as Heather shares the many benefits of bone broth, controversies, and the many, many ways you can incorporate it into your diet, even in dessert. Coming up next... We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. If you're still confused about what to eat and not getting the results you thought you'd get by going organic, go to nutritionheretic.com and download the shit list of seven health foods to avoid like the plague for free. The shit list details what health food companies want you to believe about the crap they peddle and why the real foods they're meant to replace are far better. Stop letting big health food dump all over you and download the shit list today. Fat is bad for you. I just pop a pill and I'm fine. Meat is murder. <laughs> it's time for bad food punishment. It's time for real nourishment. It's time for the nutrition heretic. The following program is provided as information only and may not be construed as medical or health advice. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any disease. No action or inaction should be taken solely on the basis of the information provided here. Please consult with a licensed healthcare professional or doctor on any matter relating to your health and well-being. Hello and welcome to the Nutrition Heretic Podcast. This is Adrian Hugh, the Nutrition Heretic. Today, I would love to talk about uh, me, of course, uh, my experience uh, with bone broth. Uh, as you know, this is the big superfood today, but I started drinking it, I would say, in terms of making it myself, I started drinking it in 1992. And I remember because it was like, I was in my first real apartment and I was broke. And when you're broke, you get resourceful. And so I had had the, uh, the luxury and the, the luck in my teen years and, and in college to live in Europe. So I lived in Croatia for a couple of summers and I lived in Spain for a year and I lived in France. Um, but in particular in Spain and in Croatia, we would have soup for lunch every freaking day and it wasn't the lunch but um actually if you listen to our uh facebook uh live q a last week uh i had nicola on with me and he was talking about how he drinks three bowls of soup before he like really dives into his lunch and that's very typical in that part of the world so um even though i grew up my mom would use like bouillon cubes and you know just not the thing uh but I kind of, I've always, I always questioned that even though she made the rest of the meal was perfectly fine and she was using bones and all of that, but she never really trusted that she could get enough flavor out of just the bones with some salt and, you know, a few seasonings and the same seasonings that she was using anyway. So it made absolutely no sense. Uh, but I loved watching cooking shows and all that jazz. So I started to 
make my own bone broth because I would have, you know, my chicken that I would roast. And at that time, I wasn't eating that much meat, but I had, you know, this chicken and there's these bones left. So I decided that I would just start shoving them into the freezer. And when I had enough, I would empty my, my Ziploc into a pot with water and, you know, make my bone broth. And that would serve as, you know, soups for when I got sick or whatever. Um, I, you know, cooked a lot of things and I cooked a lot of Chinese. So Chinese, uh, foods most people don't realize for still for some reason that many of them use a bone broth base so you know all those stir fries like one of the it's not so much the soy sauce as much as the bone broth that makes it so delicious of course you know fast forward and today it's like all the rage i went from being a complete freak doing this uh years ago uh to being you know kind of ahead of the curve so to speak but today, my guest heretic, Heather Dane, who's the co-author of The Bone Broth Secret, uh, is further ahead of the curve than I am uh, because she's wrote, written a book all about it uh, and some really, really inventive recipes on how to incorporate bone broth in everything from your breakfast to smoothies to cocktails to face masks. So, Heather, welcome to the show. Thank you, Adrian. It's so fun to be a heretic with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, I like to think, you know, people think that the, the heretic is evil, which is, you know, kind of why I have the, the little logo that has the, the little devil's tail on it. But they don't realize that it's, it's not so much that you're, it's not really that you're evil. It's just that you don't really pick sides. You just, <laughs> you're just, you're just telling the truth as you see it. And people can, can, you know, listen or they cannot listen, but it's, you know, it's so it's more about raising the questions, right? It's, it's about, I'd like to say enlightening, uh, people, yes. but, but also giving them another way of viewing their own reality, correct? I think so. And I think it's also that we have a mainstream that has taught us to sort of move away from the principles our ancestors knew kept them healthy and strong. And while we're in this place where autoimmune conditions are on the rise and energy is down and nobody can understand why, and there are symptoms that are not being diagnosed in the doctor's office, a lot of times it's not technology that's going to bring us our answers. It's going back to what our ancestors have always known. And I love that you grew up drinking bone broth and you went back to what you knew and that worked for you. Plus, it helped you save money, which is right. pretty awesome. Right. And, and that's, that's what the heretic is all about, isn't it? It's like we can save money and be healthy in our own kitchens. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I mean, and it's there is uh, this misunderstanding, right? Because there's kind of the the church of fast food and then there's the church of like crazy, fanatical, healthy eating, right? And then there, yeah. somewhere in between is this this message that takes the best of both worlds, right? It takes, you know, the, the comfort food idea from the fast food world, because that's kind of where those people think they're, they are, right? Yes. Um, is in this fast, in, in this, um, comforting comfort food place. And then the other side is in this extremely, mm, what's the word I'm looking for? Orthodox, maybe <laughs> just yes. like very, very strict way uh, of of eating that is um, kind of strips them of all joy. Yes, 
And, and so I, I think that, uh, bone broth is one, and I, and you say this in the book that it is this thing that, that brings us back to our ancestors, brings us back to our culture, brings us back to our heritage. And it's really very just, just comforting to the in- individual. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's always been said that, you know, when we want to get to the heart of something, we want to go to the bone. We want to get, we mm, want to cut right to the yeah. bone. We want to get right to the heart of it. And, the bone bones are structure and foundation and strength. And in Chinese medicine, they always say like heals like. Yes. And so, and I find it fascinating because as you look at the nutritional properties of foods and you look at people who have certain health conditions, whether it be adrenal fatigue or osteoporosis or thyroid issues or something like that, and you look at the foods that are sort of like those things, you see that they also contain nutrients that those parts of our bodies need. Absolutely. And yeah, and bone broth, I mean, it's collagen, right? It's the it's the um, the essence of what we need for the most abundant protein in our body, which makes up our bones, our skin, our hair, our nails, our teeth. You know, it's it's everywhere. It's the eyes, it's the digestive organs, it's, um, it's there's not a, a part of our body that is not held up and held together and even acting as scaffolding so that the blood can flow and the lymph can flow, all of that is collagen. And and our bodies stop producing it to the extent that it did when we turn 40. So now everybody thinks, <laughs> right? Sorry. It's like, oh, the body falls apart, you know, <laughs> at the age of 40. And I've heard you say that, you know, a lot of us think that that aging means health goes down. And you've always said, no, it doesn't. You know, right. we, we don't have to gain weight. We don't have to lose muscle tone. We don't have to have hair falling out. All of these things that people think are are natural for the aging process are actually because certain things in the body slow down. We're supposed to be moving into wisdom mode at that point in our lives right. and, and using our resources differently and moving from a rushing around to more of a, um, uh, a calm and grounded and uh, thoughtful way of life so that we can become leaders and, and sort of wise people. For right. the rest of the world. And and we often, because of technology and jobs and paying the bills, run around like we were 20 and 30. <laughs> and, and meanwhile, everything's slowing down. So I think that, that uh, when we go back to things like bone broth, we're going back to a, an ancient habit that has, I mean, we, we can see that from about the year 1000, and it was probably before that, that right. that cultures around the world have been consuming bone broth. Right. And it's part of what they did to heal this most abundant protein in the body and to stretch their budget. And And we didn't realize, I think, until the 1600s, they started doing a lot of research on gelatin, which is collagen once it's bioavailable and right. what's rich in bone broth, that they did all, like hundreds and hundreds of studies from the 1600s forward. And that's when we began to realize how powerful gelatin or bone broth, the collagen in bone broth actually is for human health. Right. And, and throughout the world, it's consumed uh, quite regularly, except for the U.S. And, yes. and now it is starting to, obviously, but it's only in a select you know number of people who kind of are uh, unfortunately, I get, I don't know if it's fortunately or unfortunately, (laughs) some people kind of jumping on the bandwagon, uh, but it's a good bandwagon 
to be yes. on as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and again, uh, to echo what you said, uh, in terms of, uh, saving money, it's, you think back to our ancestors who actually had to hunt this stuff or, you know, they only had, let's say 20 chickens for the family or, or what have you. They had to make sure that thing stretched as far as possible. Yes. So, you know, you might eat the roast on Sunday, but then throughout the week, you're eating a combination of broths and, and whatever, you know, vegetables you could manage, you know, lamb's quarters. I'd love to bring that one up for some reason. Uh, (laughs) dandelions and, and, you know, roots, root vegetables and things like that. Right. And, you know, I'm Native American. And so as as I with this whole debate, I've been vegan, I've been vegetarian, I've been raw, all raw vegan, and I've been sort of gone through just about every diet as I was working to heal my body over the years. And one of the things that I appreciate about bone broth is this zero waste aspect where there I I do it two ways with bone broth. One is um, I can like you said, save the bones. And I think that's the most brilliant way you you eat a chicken and you save your bones because you might not be ready that day to make the bone broth, but it's waiting for you when you're ready and right. when you've had enough. And so you're saving everything and you're saving the scraps of vegetables, the odds and ends of, of uh, lettuce at the skin and or, the, or the skins and peelings of all vegetables that come through your kitchen. That usually makes up about 25% of waste in, in the American kitchen. And now we can, we can reduce that vegetable waste by putting it in the freezer with your bones and making a bone broth or a vegetable broth. And we can even reduce animal consumption by up to 80% by by saving our bones and using those pieces wow. that nobody wants. I mean, if you think about it, if you take a cow, for example, our, our farming industry has gotten very bad they for for what what was a good reason in the beginning the good reason was everybody's moving away from the land and moving to the cities and we can't feed them so what are we going to do and unfortunately instead of thinking about nature and nature's beings some person decided we were going to pack a bunch of animals into a, a barn somewhere and ha- give them bad lives right. and then the vegetarian movement came along as an answer to that and and people who eat food all over the world started fighting with each other about their ideological uh, ways of eating when if we had just thought about how we could be good to the earth's beings and good to the earth, we would say, we can't do that. But we can, instead of taking 15% of the animal, which is the the food marketing, it's like, oh, steak is the best, prime rib is the best, and, and that's only 15% of the animal, right. these choice cuts, and they're also the least nutritious and most expensive. Right. The the most nutritious and the least expensive are the stuff around the joints and around the bone, and mm-hmm. That stuff has everything that our ancestors ate because they ate the entire animal. So one cow could take a year for a family of four to eat. Now we're being more humane to the world and to the environment because we don't need to have the practices that created the food revolution by John Robbins, right, that made everybody become vegetarian because it's awful what they're doing to animals. So we could create a revolution of zero waste instead yeah. with our vegetables and our our animal foods and we could actually solve health issues that are very real that need meat. I mean there you know there are lots of studies in genetics today which is what I really focus on in healing genetic conditions that show that there are properties within animal protein that many people need to heal. Right. And so how do you do that when you care about the earth and you care about animals and you 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 know a lot, many people feel bad when they think about bones or bone broth or the parts that are in bone broth. But in fact, these are the most healing and most 
inexpensive ways for us to take our health back. Right, for sure. People sometimes misunderstand when I'm kind of going on my little rants about, <laughs> about you know, that that we're not, we can't just survive on plants. Uh, and I know people who, you know, seem to on the outside, but then you find out like when they're not boasting about their health, you find out that they've got, you know, really serious, like you say, autoimmune disease, cancers yeah. and, and all of these other things, um, you know, to some extent, you you know, as much as we can focus on positive thinking, I think even the positive thinking needs a structure underneath it to support it. Yes. And, you know, well before epigenetics got big and epigenetics is the thing outside of our genes that determines our health. So the thought process now after this giant international human genome project where they believe they were going to prove that your genes are everything, they actually found out that genes are only 5% of our health. And there's <laughs> something outside or above the genes epigenetics that that determines how healthy we really are. And that includes our food, our thoughts and our lifestyle. Right. And Louise Hay, way before any of this came out, she's always taken nutrition classes, always believed in nutrition, healed cancer with nutrition and mm -hmm. wrote, you can heal your life, which is all about changing your thoughts to change your life and change your health. And she's always said that if you get your food right and your thoughts right, everything will fall into place. Right, right. And that sounds simple when you hear it. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's actually from a scientific perspective, it's actually true. You right. know, my my epigenetics teachers, because I'm, I'm continuing my education with functional medicine and epigenetics over the years because things are changing so quickly in nutrition and medicine. And my teachers are all saying, you know, you can give people the perfect diet and the perfect supplements, but if they don't change their lifestyle and work on their stress and work on their, their thought processes, they're not going to, it's just going to keep coming back, right. you know, because it isn't, the way we think and the way we eat is an epigenetic switch. And there are genes, even I have one genetic condition that I had to, I finally started tackling when I became aware of it five years ago that... Um, I had to give up vegetables in order to heal that. You know what? It's so condition. funny because I'm I'm sort of in that boat myself where uh, raw vegetables are really causing me a lot of problem. Yeah. And I'm doing way better if I just, you know, stick to my broth, stick to my, you know, lecithin building, <laughs> you know, yeah. things that uh, foods that that that, you know, um, keep my digestive system running smoothly, let's say. Uh, exactly. But I, I'm finding that a lot of the raw vegetables, like I, I make some kick salads, but I can't eat them right, <laughs> right now. Know. You know? <laughs> and, you know, as a, as a nutritionist, we sit here and scratch our heads and say, well, we know vegetables are really healthy and we like them and, and all of that. But at some health is dynamic and it changes. And sometimes the switch goes on for some reason. Right. It could be an environmental toxin. It could be a major stressor in life. It could be a pregnancy. Whatever it is, something can switch on or off a gene. And so if the gene switches on and suddenly you've been doing kale smoothies every morning and, and now you're not feeling well, mm -hmm. there's a good reason why that is. And from a genetic perspective, when you start looking at the genes, there are some of us who our ancestors did not grow up in a farming community or near farms. 
And our genetics are actually done in such a way that we didn't need a particular gene or a particular enzyme to digest the variety of vegetables that somebody who did grow up on a farm has. And so if that switch gets turned on and suddenly that enzyme isn't working properly, you get all kinds of terrible symptoms, you know, mental, you know, emotional symptoms, fatigue, a lot of digestive issues and stuff like that. It's kind of, you start to get really cranky. And, uh, and then if you, if you want to heal that, I had to give up vegetables for six months. And then after a while with, with nutrition and with supplementation and getting that back in, I was able to turn the switch off. But it's it's hard when people um, either teach you that that you have to have a certain diet and they t- and you stop listening to your own body and saying, you know what, when we listen to our bodies and we listen to the symptoms that we're having, it gives us intuition about what our genes need in this moment. Right. And yet what, what what was going on yesterday is not necessarily what's going on tomorrow. Absolutely. So if we're always listening, then we can respond without saying, but so-and-so told me that I needed to be vegetarian or so-and-so told me that I had to only eat, that I couldn't eat grains right. or something like that. You know, it's sort of like we need to listen to our own, the, the messages of our own bodies. And for me, I found that having a, a um, food like bone broth because it's so grounding and it goes back to the bone and it goes back to sort of that deep ancestral knowing, um, it, it, it heals digestive organs. The digestive organs is a brain in the body. It's your second brain. So suddenly my, the, the second brain, which then heals the third brain, which is the heart, the heart has brain tissue. Suddenly this inner sort of information system, I call it the inner GPS, the gut, the heart and the brain that these two brain areas of brain tissue in my body have been healed in a way that weren't healed before. And now my intuition is starting to really speak to me. Now I really start to know what I need. I didn't before. It was hard. But once I sort of started to heal these, these brains in my body, it, it was as if, you know, it's as if life wanted to send some brain tissue into the body to say, we're going to listen to your body for you so that you don't have to listen to everybody telling you what to do that doesn't live in your body and doesn't have the genes that you have because we're all different. So you get to have brain in your body to tell you what you need. And if we don't take care of the gut, which largely depends on something like collagen to heal it, um, then the heart starts to go. And if the brain, if the gut and the heart starts to go, the brain starts to go, our moods and memory and our energy starts to go. So it's kind of like we need to keep them all in sync so that we, we can um, be our own best health advocate. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what was it, what was your first inkling about bone broth benefits? Like when did, did you have your aha moment about it well it's interesting i um i guess to tell the story i can just say that that uh i started experiencing health symptoms that i can recall i it started before this but my first sort of concern about my health was when i was 10 Mm -hmm. because i remember having this feeling that everything was stuck in my body, that nothing was moving. Mm-hmm. And so as I would eat, it would almost feel like a gas tank was filling up and there was no more room for yes. anything. Yes. And uh, and I didn't understand what that was. So I went to my mother and I said, everything feels stuck. And of course, back then, this is the late 70s, mm-hmm. you know, nobody knew what that meant. Right. So I just got like, I was told I was constipated. 
-hmm. And I was given fiber pills and sent home. And over the years, I learned to get very picky and worried about food. And I would have a lot of cravings because because in actuality, nothing was moving. Right. And in actuality, I was um, I was hungry and full at the same time because my digestive system was constantly filled, but I was still hungry. Right. And you but probably I, had a lot of uh, of um, like yeasts and things growing in there because yes. nothing was was actually passing through. Exactly. All the things that can go wrong when nothing is moving was go- were, were going wrong. And meanwhile, this went on and on. And um, eventually, by the time I got to college and I was on the university food plan and I couldn't sort of go to the – I actually started going to the health food store by myself. I, as soon as I got my driver's license at 16, mm-hmm. I was driving to the health food store because I had this sense that there was something food-related going on. You and I and, have so much in common <laughs> right now. I'm just thinking, oh, my gosh, this is like – she's like, did you grow up in the Bronx? Because <laughs> it sounds so much like what, what I went through. Exactly. exactly. So so I um I ended up on that plan and then things got worse. Then I was doubled over in pain after mm-hmm. eating and I ended up like many college students turning to bulimia and thinking, "Oh no, now I have an eating disorder." Mm-hmm. And that went on, you know, for years while I went to counseling and I tried all these things and people told me it was all in my head and I thought that there I was broken and there was something wrong with me and then I find out after and, and I had my note I studied nutrition in college I didn't learn I learned a lot about food and food properties but I didn't learn how to heal the gut how to heal the brain mm-hmm. um, so then I went uh, into the corporate world taking this whole constellation of symptoms with me and just learning how to try to deal with it meanwhile the eating disorder came along with me for all those years and then finally I decided I had to do something and I I knew through all the years and I was reading medical journals all through the years studies mm-hmm. what's going on because no matter how many people told me it was in my head and I was open to believing I had some psychological problem I knew there was something going on in my body. Yeah. I knew that something was wrong. So um, when I was in my early 30s, I, uh, I decided I had to do something about it. And I, I decided I was going to start changing my diet. And I did. And I started to recover. I was told the reason that I that I went and did this was because I was told that I had a diseased gallbladder and the diseased gallbladder I had was weird. I had to have a special test to have them find out that my gallbladder simply was not contracting properly Mm -hmm. and and therefore it was full of tiny little stones that couldn't be picked up on a regular gallbladder disease test. And the doctor said, you've got to get this out or you're never going to recover from the eating disorder. You're never going to feel well. Mm -hmm. So I got scared. Yeah. And I didn't want to have my gallbladder out. I knew enough at this point what the gallbladder was responsible for and how important it was for for digesting fats and many other things. So I I started really digging in and and deciding that I was going to change my diet. And as soon as I did that, I started to feel better. I started eating whole food anti-candida, you know, no fruit, no sugar, no dairy, no gluten, you know, all of that kind of thing. And I started to feel better. But it didn't completely resolve. And Mm -hmm. so I I took certification program after certification program and everything helped a little. And then when I was 37, I got diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a defective collagen disorder. Wow. Imagine that. (laughs) I know. I know. And so the way it was affecting me, so so the way it it sounds rare and they call people zebras because you don't look like anything any doctor expects you to look like. They never, it rarely gets diagnosed in the doctor's office. 
Um, but what it is when I started studying collagen at that point in my life was um, it's a it's a it's a umbrella term for about thirty to forty different symptoms that are very common, mm. except that it all is existing in one person. Right. So it's arthritis, it's um, digestive organ failure. So the gallbladder that wasn't contracting wasn't contracting because there's muscle around our digestive organs, and and my muscle was failing. Oh, okay, so the, because of the show. collagen. Yes, the collagen in my in my intestines were not doing their job, so therefore leaky gut, malabsorption, no non no peristalsis of the of the large intestine. You know, all of the things that create movement in the digestive system were not happening. So therefore everything was actually stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, because I had had changed my diet and was doing proper supplementation to support my digestive system, I was feeling better at 37. Mm-hmm. What I didn't know at 37, even though I sort of understood I had this problem with collagen, um, some people have osteoporosis because of it. Some people have heart mitral valve prolapse, eye problems, um, uh, TMJ, mm-hmm. hair falling out. I mean, there's all these symptoms that we think are, are wrinkly, skin that wrinkles too soon or too much, teeth that are having too much decay. Um, and people don't understand why you keep going into the dentist and there's all these problems. Things like th- that are just sort of odd. Um, some autoimmune conditions because the auto the immune system is actually attacking the collagen. Some of these things are all related to a collagen dysfunction. Right. And so as I began studying, I, I had learned in my certification programs that bone broth was a healing food. Except for me, when I had bone broth, I would feel sick. Mm. And so I kind of stayed away from it for the first, I, I learned about it in a certification program when I was 36. So by the time I got diagnosed, I, I knew bone broth was a good food, but it didn't wor- work for me. And I, I was like, well, I, I feel better. So I must have healed my digestive system. Well, then I got into my 40s mm-hmm. and collagen disorder plus collagen dropping in collagen creation in the body does not equal a good picture. <laughs> so I started to have more problems. And, you know, muscles, my muscle tone was going for no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just, you know, my hair was falling out. I was having all these sort of, is it adrenal fatigue? Is it thyroid issues? What's going on? And my diet seemed to be failing me. And I started to um, look at bone broth from a meat stock perspective, which I learned about from Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride, who yes. wrote Gut and Psychology Syndrome. And um, I started making a, a weak form of bone broth, which you know, I say throw the same bones in, simmer them for one and a half to three hours and save the bones and use them again. Right. You know, and then you can use them again a few times. And and this this sort of lighter form reduces the histamines um, for people who are histamine sensitive, which I was because, as you can imagine, a digestive system right. that doesn't move with all that yeast and, and bacteria and everything that's going on. I had to combat all of that. So um, after a while of drinking the meat stock and dealing with that six months of no vegetables, mm-hmm. I was able to turn off one of the switches that was making bone broth hard for me to consume and, and right. everything hard for me to consume, actually. And I was able to consume bone broth. So usually once you start doing meat stock, you get enough collagen to line the, the small intestine and heal leaky gut. 
it spackles up those holes in the in the small intestine that is that are letting things through that shouldn't be getting into the bloodstream that are then creating an autoimmune response or a food allergy response that then create a blood brain barrier leak in the brain and create brain fog and things like that. So if that sort of thing is going on with people, they're suddenly they're they're having all these food allergies and they're having, you know, memory issues or mood issues or brain right. fog. We know that the gut is a good place to go. And if you can't deal with bone broth at first, you deal with meat stock, you line that digestive system with the protective barrier. And the studies show that not only does it protect and, and seal up the holes in the small intestine, but it also um, acts as like a sucker of all the good nutrition. Like yes. it's, it's sucking everything in and it's it's taking more nutrition in than would normally come from food. It's, it's, it's kind of the... Um, we've heard of hamburger helper, right. <laughs> it's, it's small intestine helper, you know, it's, it's, it's helping us get everything we need. And, and so I, um, I, that's what I started to do. And after, um, when I started writing the bone broth secret with Louise a couple of years ago, I was consuming more than usual of the bone broth. So I knew it was helping me and I knew that it was great and it was a part of my normal diet and I was never going to let go of it. But when I started putting it into other foods, right? And because we we made this book and we knew that that um collagen that if you are ingesting gelatin collagen in your food that it's helping you get more nutrients and it's helping you to seal the leaky gut. So why not have it in more of the things that you eat and your desserts and your cocktails and your bread and your, um, and your main dishes and things. So as I was doing this, everything I was eating all day long was bone broth. Mm -hmm. And over the period of time we were creating, we have over a hundred recipes in the book and, and and testing them. I was having more bone broth than usual and I achieved a new level of health while I was writing the book. So it was like, I was already, I had already like fixed all the problems that started in my forties just by drinking bone broth. But, but as I upped the amount, Mm -hmm. because everybody's like, how much should you drink? And it's kind of a mystery. It's different for everybody. But for me, you know, I, I needed more and I didn't know it. Right. And so, I think most of us don't, you know, we're not like, right. like, uh, like I was saying, my, my one assistant, Nicola, he's in Croatia, they have, he has three bowls of soup every, every day, yeah. um, at lunchtime. Um, yeah. and you know, that's, you know, he's, he's young and strong and fit and, <laughs> you know, you, like you would never, um, and, and when I lived there, I, I know that, you know, people were much healthier than I was for sure. And, yeah. as well as, um, you know, my, friends in the US around me. Yeah, exactly. And and we know we know when we know, you know, yeah. and sometimes people try to give it a week and they're like I gave it a week and it didn't do anything. It's kind of like a week isn't really enough. Yeah. For me, 3 months kind of gave me a better sense of what was going on and after doing this for three months. So my husband was, was having a lot of bone broth with me mm-hmm. and because I, he of course was one of my taste testers in the house. And one day um, I knew I was feeling so much better. And I said, okay, I think I found the amount of broth that I need for, for good health. And he had been eating the food too. And he looked at me one day when we were eating lunch and he said, you know, that old shoulder injury that I've had since college, you know, he, he said, I don't, it doesn't hurt anymore. Wow. And he looked at me and he said, do you think it's the bone broth? And we both started laughing. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he knew the answer, but but it's sort of like he, he became, that's when he actually became a fan. He liked bone broth. Right. 
but I think he realized because sometimes we have to feel it, the healing in our happen in our body. It's like a miracle. Right. And you feel that miracle and you're like, that was food that did that for me. Right. Yeah. That's, there's such a disconnect between food and its actual healing properties. As much as we like to talk about the superfoods and, you know, this one is better than that and yada, yada, yada. Uh, there is really this disconnect. And I think it, re- it stems from the focus on calories. Right. Because we see in this country, we've been taught to rec- – well, you, you know, like, for example, in my dietetics books, when I was learning uh, nutrition, I had to take this one standard RD course. And in that course, you know, the, the everything was, for example, vitamin A. Well, you know, liver is the most abundant source of vitamin A, but it's got too many calories and too much fat, so eat carrots instead. Mm. So, you know, so, yeah, I see that shift a lot where people are like, well, yeah, I could eat, you know, a pork knuckle, but there's too much fat in it. And it's like, right. that's not the point. Like the, the, it's a moot point to, to even talk about calories when you're talking about the most nutrient dense source of assimilable vitamins and minerals. Right. Exactly. And genetically, there are some people who can't. If the gene switch is turned on, there are some people who ca- actually can't utilize vitamin A from vegetables. Right. And it's really, it's really carotenes in vegetables and you still right. have to convert that. So exactly. exactly. <laughs> and you so, need the fat in there to convert it. So it, <laughs> there you go. Isn't that amazing? So yeah. nature knows. Right. Right. You know, nature and, knows. And that's why I tell people, you know, if you have a, cra- unless you have like a craving for sugar, that's probably a yeast in your body talking. But if you're having, you know, these other cravings, particularly for the animal foods, the bone broths, the, you know, the, the meats and the meat stocks and the, um, uh, egg yolks and things like that, it's a, you know, that's, that's a very instinctive primal, you know, my brain is broken, <laughs> my gut yeah. is broken kind of response. That's, yeah. you know, and, and there's a reason why it brings us back to this very, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm conjuring up images in my head of like, you know, the hearth, the stone hearth, and the, the little hamlet where <laughs> people live, yeah. you know what I mean? Like this very cozy feeling around bone broth in particular. Yeah, it's it's family and community. I mean, I, I I don't know if you if you had this, but when I think back to my grandmother's kitchen, mm-hmm. I think of of um being warm and safe. Right. And well, there's cooking going on. Right. You know, and and I think that that if even if we didn't, and I didn't have a lot of it because nobody right. wanted to cook after a while. It yes. was like nobody was in the kitchen anymore. But but those moments when when it happened. Mm-hmm. were some of the best moments I remember with my grandparents and my extended family in kitchens. It was just being in the kitchen and having those conversations and all the things that come up because you're in there for a long period of time back then, right? you know, when they're actually cooking something from scratch, you're in there for some period of time. And, and it, by the time I think I, I was maybe, it was probably 10 when the when I was really experiencing the symptoms. There wasn't much time in the kitchen. Nobody in yeah. my family was in the kitchen. There were no family dinners anymore. Everybody was gone, you know, and, and, and my parents were both working. So it was kind of like that whole nucleus of the home where mm-hmm. I truly believe that the home cook is the medicine person of the family. Right. That because when they taste something, our our 
when we get back in touch with what our bodies need and we taste something, what starts to happen, this happened to me, but, but as I looked at how did people learn to use spices, which Mm -hmm. is today the most phytochemical rich, the most antioxidant rich food is our spices and our herbs these days. And when you taste something and you say it needs a little of this and it needs a little of that, your body is is intuitively telling you what your body needs. And they've shown through blood tests that people in the same household have similar blood test results. Right. Because we all eat and think the same way, right. you know, or in general. And so the home cook is actually tapping into the um the needs of the family and putting those antioxidants in um into the food that are needed for healing. Right, right. And this makes me think of uh, something that I think most people can associate with, especially if you've had a child, uh, is how the mother's breast milk will change depending on the needs of the baby. You know, the baby gets sick and the mother's body just instinctively knows what to do. Uh, and this is, this is almost another transfer of that same energy, but not necessarily as directly from your body. Uh, but into, you know, it's kind of the, the love and the care and the, the knowing and the intuition that goes into the meals. Yes, exactly. We, we have this knowing and, and there are studies like Antonio Damasio, who's a French neuroscientist actually did a study to find out where taste, what happens with the sense of taste. Mm -hmm. And it actually goes into the part of the brain that where we determine our sense of self. Right. That's the, our, where our taste buds go. They are a link from our mouth to our brain. Right. Right. And so, and they take they change every t- every ten days, mm. approximately. Which means that if one if somebody listening to us to our conversation is saying, "But I'm really addicted to sugar," or right. "I really need my cheese," I know it's not working because I feel bad every time I eat it. But I'm so I crave it all the time, and I really need it. I get that. I've been there. You know, I never thought I'd be able to give up sugar, which was for me when I would eat it, it would be like heroin and I could, I couldn't (laughs) stop eating. I mean, honestly, I was like a monster in the kitchen eating everything. And so I think, um, you know, if, if we give ourselves a chance to go that say two weeks, um, replacing that craving with something that tastes like that to, to fool our taste buds for a little while, the taste buds change and because the processed food industry knows this, they hire psychologists and scientists to manipulate our taste buds. Mm. And when they're manipulating our taste buds, they're actually manipulating our brain, our right. sense of self. They're saying, you can't live without those M&Ms. Mm-hmm. You need to eat those every day. Right. And the reason that they wanted to do that badly is because at some point they found out that the human population was not growing fast enough to make their profits grow the way they needed to, to stay in business. And so they decided as they sat in their little boardroom, well, let's get people to eat 200 more calories than they need per day. Right. Then we can hit all of our profit goals. And that's what they started to do. And the, the, what they did was they started going after people who are already overweight. Yes. Because they figured, and if, if someone's already overweight, we can be sure that their insulin system and that their metabolism, their blood sugar, their craving system is off already. It's already damaged. And they can go after that that, um, sort of vulnerable area in someone by messing with their brain through their taste buds. Right. So I always say, let's take our 
our taste buds back. <laughs> let's yeah. let's reclaim our taste buds and start to trick them for a little while because they've already been tricked with food that tastes like that, which is why I started writing healthy recipes that were more grounding and utilizing spices that would send signals to the brain stem saying, we're, ha- we're feeling good after one cookie. Yeah. You know, this feels good. Let's stop now or after two, like one or two, we feel really good. Um, because I wanted, I wanted to sort of rejig the system so that we could get our own intuition back about our appetites instead of feeling like our appetites were out of control. Mine was, yeah. Mine, I had no control over my appetite and I didn't realize that it wasn't me being some person with no willpower. Right. It was the fact that once your blood sugar is um, vulnerable, the blood sugar is the system of blood sugar balance is actually what determines willpower. They've done all kinds of studies about it. So if you have no willpower, it's very likely because either A, you're dieting and you're having a calorie restriction and your blood sugar's off or B, your malabsorption. Mm-hmm. And because of the malabsorption, your blood sugar's off. And so therefore, when your blood sugar goes off, your willpower goes off. And now you walk into the at work into the break room and everybody's having a baby shower celebration with donuts or cake. Right. And you can't stop yourself from eating it. And then when everybody's gone and there's leftovers, you're sneaking in and going to get that too, you know? Right. So it's usually um, we we have to sort of trick the system back into working for us. Right. And bone broth helps with that because it's a grounding blood sugar balancing food. Right, right. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. I, I always, I actually tell people, uh, at least when I was seeing clients, uh, I would tell them to, you know, just, just give it three days. You know, just even th- at three days, I think there's enough of a shift Yes. That many people, you know, they, at least if their digestion is, you know, moving things out, um, their taste buds awaken to these new foods. And, and a lot of people actually, the last uh, episode that we did last year, uh, was a woman who is in my Facebook group and she just never thought she could ever do it. She's been in there for years. She just <laughs> never thought she could change her diet, tried to look for every other, you know, excuse and, and thing to do, uh, other than change her diet. And, and, but then one night she, her, she was, she has fibromyalgia. She was in such pain and she just prayed to God and she said, please just show me away. And the next day I sent her something about a course on gut and psychology syndrome. And she was just like, okay, this must be the answer. So she didn't, she actually ended up not being able to get into the course, but she, um, you know, just started applying these basic principles that we're talking about bone broth. She knew that she, for her condition, she had to avoid, um, nightshades as well as, uh, grains, um, and she just started there, you know, still eating dairy, still, you know, um, really, really everything was, is real, you know, s- slowly started incorporating some, um, fermented vegetables and some yogurt and kombucha, things like that. Uh, but what she said was she couldn't believe how delicious the food was. That was her, that, that's just, she said, she, cause she, like you said, was only going to give herself a week. Okay, God, I'm, I'll give this a week. If it doesn't work, I'm back to what I'm doing. And she said she didn't see any, any improvement in the way she felt in that week, but the food was so good. She didn't want to stop. Nice. That's <laughs> and, wonderful. And, you know, and, and that's, 
the way when you talk about how they manipulate our taste buds, what it makes me think about is the fact that most of that food doesn't taste like anything anyway. Right. It's and, true. and, um, you know, recently I've been kind of razzing on some of the, some of the vegan restaurants around here because people keep telling me like, go to this restaurant. It's so good. It's vegan, but it's so good. And it's raw food and da, da, da. And I went to these two different, one was like a, a special dinner and the other one was an actual restaurant. And I went there, you know, just to, cause I, I'm part of my community. You know, I want to support people who are trying to do the right thing, especially. So I go to these restaurants and both times I got sugar cravings and, mm-hmm. I, got, and yeah. I got, I mean, like I could not, I, I was what you were talking about when you were 10 years old, I was bloated. I yeah. could see my belly protruding, but I was hungry on a cellular level. Yes. My body was just like, feed me. I know th- this hurts. It physically hurts your, your skin to stretch, <laughs> but yep. feed me because I'm starving. Yes. Um, and it was, it was horrible, you know, and then what I realized again, speaking to what you talk about with, with your grandmother's kitchen is neither of those places had any smell. Mm, isn't that and, interesting and i was like and, and it dawned on me because uh, like i said i lived in spain so every once in a while you know i get some nice zucchinis and tomatoes and things and i'll make some uh different spanish dishes and so i was making uh a dish called pistu or at least that's what i remember it being called and then another i forget what the other dish was but both of them were vegan um and, you know at, at their core they were they could be considered vegan not raw food but vegan and what happened was a friend of mine came over. She was actually delivering pastured chickens to me. And she and her husband walk in the door and they go, man, it smells good in here. <laughs> and that's when I made the connection that, you know, it, there was more, that there's more to just the food sometimes as well. And, and yes. bone broth is, 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 um, one of those, you ever watch the old like Bugs Bunny cartoons and they're trying to, and I don't know, Yosemite Sam, whoever's like, <laughs> trying to, trying to like lure the, the bunny and you see the, the, the waves of smell of odor right. from the, from the <laughs> cooking pot, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and there's something to that when, yeah. when, you know, you, that, that's just really draws you in and it really makes you feel comfortable just walking through the, the, um, the door. Or whether it's the bone broth or just a broiled chicken or <laughs> whatever, yeah. you know, you smell those odors. And, and in this case, it was just, you know, onions with some zucchini and tomatoes and maybe some green peppers, right? Yeah. But they were in olive oil. They had salt and like all those flavors then now permeate the air. Exactly. And it creates this environment where you feel safe. You feel welcome. Yes. And your juices start flowing. Exactly. And I have never eaten it like, because there's times where I'll just eat that with a slice of bread for, you know, lunch or a snack or whatever. I, I don't feel sick. I don't feel a craving after mm-hmm. that. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. It's like you're totally getting into the sensory experience, which exactly. I think is what we were meant to do with food. We we were meant to have a full-on sensory experience that went, I think – you know, I always say besides sex, you know, food is one of the most full on sensory experiences because you're taking something into your body. You're taking some matter into your body that is through the course of alchemy turning into something that helps us thrive. And that is a full on sensory experience with every 
sense in every part of your body engaged. Right. And I love how you talk about um, this walking into someone's kitchen and already from the smell, you're ready. You're yeah. like the the mood is set already from the smell. Everybody's ready to sink into having a good time and connecting with one another. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and um, you know, on a few occasions, people have come to, you know, I have a party and I put some things out and people walk in and they're like, this is like, a religious experience, you know, yeah, <laughs> they, they come exactly. in and I'm just like, wow, like, I, I don't get this at home. Um, and you know, you were, I didn't have my, my grandmothers. Um, they died when, before I was born. Um, and they lived in Jamaica besides, but, wow. uh, they, but I did, you know, when I lived in Europe, um, that was, that's how we, we communicated was around food. So, mm-hmm. you know, it might be even just between meals, uh, you know, shucking, String beans for the next day, you know, picking off the the hard tips that were mm-hmm. connects to the plant. Might be just sitting around doing those things, you know, pitting cherries, uh, peeling tomatoes, whatever. You know, we were just always sitting around that dining table during the day doing something to prepare for that night's meal, the next day's meal. You know, it's just it just instead of watching TV, that's what we did. That's it, right there. That's the magic of of bonding and connecting and touching the earth. Yes. You know, because I always think of the kitchen as the indoor garden because we have a ch- if we're working with mm. whole foods, we have a chance to connect to the earth inside. And that's what you were doing and you were having that that connection. Um, that's amazing. You know, I, I always say that there's always aunties. I mean, we always say aunties in the Native American world when we're out with um other other relatives, other people yes. that maybe aren't blood relatives, but right. there are aunties because they're teaching us they're wise and they're teaching us their ways and they're reminding us of of the things that that um we could re- we need to remember about our our connection to the earth and so it sounds like you had some good good uh aunties around yeah. and good people around to help <laughs> help help with that connection in the absence of grandmothers right right for sure i'm i'm, I'm very blessed to have had those experiences because otherwise i may not be here today to be honest you know like i mean my family my mom was a nurse you know she did the best she could but she grew up in jamaica and much of that stuff like when i started doing it she's like this is what we used to do in jamaica Wow. I can't believe it's back, you know? <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> like she's like, you know, I was taught in school. I mean, she, she studied nursing in school. So she, when she originally came over here, a lot of that was still in her. Um, but over the years, like you say, people get busy and they, you know, they have the excuses and they're being marketed something on TV or through magazines. You know, that's the thing. That's, that's the funny thing is some people think because they don't watch TV, they're not, they're immune to this stuff. I was like, no. Okay. <laughs> if you're reading, know. you know, every, yeah. every movie, every, uh, you know, radio show or, you know, books, like just, just even books that aren't even about the topic will, right. they'll, they'll infuse their ideals in there. Yeah. Right. So we get these you, comics. Oh my gosh. Comics love to talk about like, ah, oh, you know, look at that fat guy, whatever. <laughs> right. Know, those kind of things. Right. Yeah. Um, so we don't realize how much we're still getting those same messages. Uh, regardless of whether or not we're, we consider ourselves to be um, part of this boob tube watching community. Exactly. That's exactly right. That's it for part two of this week's podcast. Come back next week when we'll continue talking with Heather about her 92-year-old co-author Louise Hay of Hay House Publishing and her journey from vegetarianism to embracing the miracles of bone broth and how Louise always chooses the right dish in a restaurant. 
Nutrition Heretic Podcast is a production of Savor the Journey, LLC. Our audio editor is Nikola Popovich. Our podcast manager is Crystal McLean. And our operations manager is Michelle Med. I'm your host, Adrian Hugh, the Nutrition Heretic. You can find us at the new and improved nutritionheretic.com, where you can download the Nutrition Heretic's free shit list of seven health foods to avoid like the plague. You can also listen to previous episodes at nutritionheretic.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to like us on social media for updates. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash nutritionheretic and on Twitter at NutriHeretic. Contact us with show ideas, questions, or if you want to be a guest. And don't forget to rate our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Music